Hi, everyone. Our scripture this morning is Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord my whole life long. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. May it be like a seed planted in our hearts. May you cause that seed to germinate and grow and bear fruit for us and for the whole world. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This morning, I want to explore what I'm going to call the mystery of fatherhood. I want to walk around in this mystery, not just for the benefit of fathers, but for the benefit of all of us, because it touches all of us in multiple ways. But I'm calling it a mystery for a very important reason, because we all experience fatherhood differently. Obviously, um, some of us are fathers. Um, but for some of you, when I bring up fatherhood, uh, all you see is an absence. Something you wished you had growing up and didn't really have, or you had inadequately. For some of you, fatherhood actually means other people in your life, not biological fathers, but maybe father figures or something like that. Fatherhood, for some of you, is an unattainable ideal. Or it's wonderful. Wonderful to talk about. Wonderful to think about because your father was your best friend, and your hero. And some of you are partnering with a father in the hard work of parenting. So we all have these different ways of coming to it, but I think fatherhood is something that we can all walk around in. The role itself seems to have changed quite a bit in the last 50 years. I was chatting with a friend of mine, and we were just chatting about the way fathers are today versus the way they are when he was parenting. He it, now his grandkids are graduating from high school, so when he was in the thick of it, it was quite a while ago. Back then, his main role was to go to work, provide for the family, and most evenings he was out in the community. He was, and he just had noticed that things have really changed. You know, now most fathers are home with mothers in the evening. A lot of times both parents are working, didn't used to be that way, now it is. Um, and most parents share in the work that's involved. Uh, there isn't often a distinction between what the father does and what the mother does. It's usually a lot of it is thought of as parenting. And he wasn't saying, you know, this was better, this was worse. He was just making a comparison that things really have changed. The responsibilities of parenting, I don't think, are all that unclear. You know, you got to take care of this kid. We get that. But fatherhood seems to be a little fuzzy for the fathers, at least I know, today. And honestly, the thing I hear a lot is that a lot of dads experience a lot of anger, a lot of frustration. They get upset a lot. Um, in fact, this has become so common that there was a, um, a I read about a guy who, um, he's a writer, and he had read so much about parenting and talked to so many dads that 
that when he had his first daughter, he was surprised that he wasn't angry with her. And he was so surprised that over the years he was not getting angry with his daughter that he pitched a podcast to his boss that was titled, When Will I Get Angry With My Daughter? He just assumed that this was going to happen. There was a national survey conducted a few years ago, and they asked about the role of father, and they found out that fathers and mothers uh, care equally about the role. They care just as much about parenting. One didn't care more than the other. But where they found a difference is that most mothers, statistically, most mothers felt like they knew what to do and were doing an okay job at it. But only a third of fathers felt that way. A little over a third of fathers felt that way. That, I think, is a recipe for anger. You care about something a lot. You want to do a good job, but you don't know how to do it. You don't know the exact right way to go about it. What is my role here? I know I'm needed, I know I'm supposed to do it, but what is my particular role? The dads I know today are passionate about loving their kids, but some of them just don't know how. This morning I want to look at the role of fatherhood and what it means to go outside of it. And besides, you know me, I just can't like do the normal thing. So, so I'm going to start by looking at farming. Surprise, surprise. Um, uh, think, about, think about farming for a second. Um, for a farmer, there's quite a bit of work to do, obviously. There's tons of work to do. There's plowing, planting the seed, watering. For a shepherd, what do you have to do? You have to do a bunch of fencing, feeding, shearing. Um, uh, for a fruit grower, there's pruning, training, planting, grafting, harvesting. But for the farmer, there's also a lot of work that a farmer cannot do. A farmer can't do what a mother, you, does for her lambs. You know, or if a baby calf needs milk, the farmer has nothing to offer. But the mother cow does, right? Um, farmer can't make a fruit tree take up nutrients from the soil, nor can the father germinate seed, and the father cannot make a tree bear fruit. So there's sort of a division, a natural division of labor there in farming. Now again, this is just a sketch. Don't draw all your conclusions about uh, parenting and, and being a dad from farming. You'll, there, there would be some problems there. Um, but I do think you can see that on the one side, there's, there's a level of sort of nurturing, um, growing, fruit bearing, and birth. And then on the other hand, we have something along the lines of protecting, providing, and training. These last things are the work of the farmer, and I think they're a pretty good picture of the work of a father. Now, I know it seems a bit odd, again, to start with farming, but um, sometimes our mind immediately goes to people like, um, if you're one generation, or you watched Nick at Night, uh, Ward Cleaver, right? Leave it to Beaver. You know, our, our mind kind of goes to somebody like that. Or if you're a little younger, you think of Alan Thicke and Growing Pains, the psychologist dad. Or maybe you just immediately think of Tom Hanks, you know, who's been referred to as like America's dad. So you think of these figures when you think of fatherhood, but I want to try to get away from that. I think that they're limited. Those pictures are limited. Um, you know, not all dads wear cardigans and ties. Um, 
my, my deep love for cardigans is not specific, or it's not generalized, I mean, specific to me. Um, uh, and what, one of the biggest problems with these pictures of fatherhood is that usually um, they only show up at the end of the story to offer the lesson. But they're not in it. They're not in the story. You know, Bieber gets into trouble, and, and it's only at the end that Ward comes home and says, well, this is what you should have done. Uh, uh, uh. Or, or, or Alan Thicke, you know, he offers this thing at the end. But, it's, but they're largely absent from the story itself. And I think that that's a wrong idea of what fatherhood is. So instead, we are going to talk about some fathers, but at a completely different time in history. We're going to talk about some fathers who actually weren't biological fathers at all. We call them desert fathers. They lived mostly in the area around northern Egypt, and they lived, you guessed it, in the desert. Um, so they lived at a, a very, very shaky time in human history. This was at the end of the Roman Empire, and, and by end, when I say end of the Roman Empire, what I mean is that this is the end of the world. So the Roman Empire was the world to people. They had all these walled cities where people lived in safety and security and all the provision they could need. It was, it was a good, safe life, and it lasted a very long time, but it started to crumble. The word barbarian just means people outside the gates, and what was happening is the people outside the gates were getting into the gates, getting into the cities. And so the Roman Empire starts to crumble and people are freaking out, looking for help, looking for guidance, looking for a way forward. How am I gonna live my life? How am I gonna survive? Does it even make sense to have kids and raise a family in a world like this when everything is disintegrating around me? Those are the kinds of questions people were asking. One of the answers was pretty surprising. There were a few folks who had already started moving out of these walled cities and going into the desert. They lived on very little, they prayed a lot, and they showed compassion on anyone that they happened to encounter. So when the world really started to turn upside down, thousands of people started flocking to these guys in the desert. They came to be known to them as fathers. It's hard to underestimate the popularity of this movement. So sometimes we have, if, you, if you've heard about Desert Fathers before, you might have this idea of like a guy on the column, like living there for 20 years. There, there was a guy like that, but he uh, was an exception. For the most part, these were wildly popular communities, and I do mean thousands of people, sometimes around one of the Desert Fathers. People were, were going in droves out into the desert to be around these people. The movement was not only popular, but it was durable. The movement that started there still exists today. There's a desert north of us called Virginia Dale. And in that desert, there's a community of not men, but women, who are in direct link to that early community of the Desert Fathers. It's called the Abbey of St. Alberga. So the question is, why were they considered fathers? There's a lot we could talk about these desert fathers, but I'm interested in the fatherhood of these people. So why were they called fathers? Well, as a farmer prunes and trains a tree, these fathers were trainers or coaches of the soul. 
They were called ascetics. They practiced something called asceticism, which is maybe a new word to some of us, but it just comes from the same word as athlete. It means discipline. We could call them athletes of the soul. They were the, they were the Steph Currys of being human. I know something about sports. Um, no, I'm not a sports guy. I did find out this morning about the abs. Holy smokes. I need to watch one of these games. I, I have not ever watched than play, um, but I think I probably should. Uh, so uh, seven to zero, in case you're wondering, the Avs beat Tampa last night, I know. Um, but so, so, so and, and you know, dads are known for being into sports and all that kind of stuff. Well, these guys were athletes of the soul. They trained these people coming out to be like sort of the best humans you could possibly be. They showed all those thousands going into the desert that true, what true protection and true provision looks like. So true protection was not a wall around your city. That's not how you stay protected. It's not an object that you use to defend yourself against evil. That is not true protection. The greatest battle is in here, in the heart. The greatest danger to all of us is right here in our hearts. And the Desert Fathers showed people how to resist and fight those battles. True provision does not come from the emperor, who brings grain into the city on a regular basis, once a month, for everybody to be taken care of. Jesus said, man does not live by bread alone, and Jesus was in a desert when he said that. True provision comes from the mouth of God. God feeds us with his word. So these Desert Fathers told a whole bunch of stories. And that was one of the ways that they taught all their spiritual children. One of the stories they told was about three guys who wanted to live a great life. And one said, the way I'm going to live a great life is I'm going to learn a ton of stuff. I'm just going to become brilliant. I'm going to study and study and I'm going to learn all the wisdom there is and I'm going to find out the best wisdom. And so he goes off to study. The second one says, I'm going to serve the poor. I'm going to serve all those who are in trouble, who are destitute, and I'm going to give my life to them, and that is how I will live a great life and become the best human. And so he goes off to serve the poor. The third one says, I'm going to go by myself into the desert to pray. Years go by. The first one stops his studies, and he's miserable. It's not working. He meets up with his other friend, and he says, how's it going for you? He says, oh, it's awful. It's not working at all. I've been serving the poor, and I'm, 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 I'm in... Uh, misery. Well, let's go ask our third friend. So they find their third friend in the desert and they say, how's it going for you? And he says, actually, not bad. It's going okay. This is not a direct translation. And, uh, and they say, well, how is this possible? You know, we went and did the right things and it didn't work, but you, all you did was go off and pray. How, how did it work for you? And so the third friend, he takes a big bowl of water and he sets it in front of them. And he, and he touches the surface of it. So he says, do you see the ripples? And they said, yeah, of course, we see the ripples. And so then he waits for the water to still. And he says, okay, now look into the water. And they all look into the water and he says, what do you see? And they say, we see our own reflections clearly. And he said, that's why I'm doing okay in the desert. And that's why you weren't. He was very devoted, he was doing the right things, and the other monks were just distractions to him. And so he says, I'm leaving these guys. So he goes somewhere else and he lives all alone. And he says, finally, I can, I can worship God and, and, and grow in peace. 
And so he fills up a pitcher of water and he sets it down because they, they didn't have running water in these caves where they lived. And, uh, and the water tips over and um, spills out. The, the jug tips over and the water spills out. So he fills it up again and sets it aside. And they have to walk like a mile to get their water. So this is a real pain. And uh, fills it up again, sets it down, and it falls over and spills out. He does this two more times. Fills up the jug, sets it down, falls over, spills out all the water. By the fourth time, he picks it up and he just throws it to the ground, crushes it, destroys it. He's so angry. He's so mad. After he had done this, he finally saw the problem. The thing that he had hoped to leave when he was so upset with all of his fellow monks, he had actually brought it with him. It was there. He hadn't left it at all. And so he decided to go back and live with the monks and learn something. Those are the kinds of stories they told. And there's tons of them. And they're all amazing. And I, if you get one thing, it's go read the Desert Fathers. Um, they're just, they're wonderful to read. The Desert Fathers made athletes of humans. They showed them how to live in the ruins of empire. It was essential then, and it's an essential role now in our age. Today, I think we need far less than we think we do. And even if we have it, the real danger that we face now, the real hunger that we're grappling with, is always stronger within us than it is without. There are real dangers in the world, but the Desert Fathers teach us to be much more concerned about what's going on within. I think all of this kind of comes together very clearly and straightforwardly in the psalm that I read, Psalm 23. We see the provision. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still waters. We also see protection. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. And then there's this surprising image. He prepares a table for me in the presence of my enemies. Here we see that provision and protection of God the Father is actually not in keeping us away from our enemies. And it's also not in keeping us out of the valley of the shadow of death. Those are all still there. The danger is there. What God provides is his own presence. And if God provides himself, then that is all the protection and all the presence that we need. This, I think, tells us two things. Fathers are provided a call to provide and protect, and they do this mainly by providing themselves turning your face toward a child, turning your face toward the world. It's not about showing up at the end and providing a lesson after the fact. It's about being present in the midst of the valley, staying put, as the Desert Fathers so often observed. This means we need to show children how to be athletes of their own souls, to make sure not only that she is fed and safe, but to train her in how to be human. And the best way to do that is providing your life as a continual reminder, a patient presence, being a kind of trellis upon which the child grows. Everyone here in this room and everyone who is listening and watching is called to this work. 
Again, this is a time of upheaval. We have literally war, famine, and plague. We almost have all four horsemen of the apocalypse. In fact, the fourth one's death, and we've always had death. It's time to, it's not time to flee into our bunkers. It is not time to build more walls. It is instead a time to flee into the open and walk near to others through the valley of the shadow. So that's one thing. Here's the second and last thing. The reason dads get so angry is because we don't like who we are. We know we're supposed to be present to our kids, but we're worried that there will be a part of us that our kids will see that we don't like. And we want to hide that part from our kids. But sometimes our kids bring it out. Sometimes we get really frustrated with our kids and they bring out a part of us that we don't like. If it's a provision to be present to our kids, there's parts of our souls that are not fit for sharing. So this is why it's kind of nice to wait to the end of the story to provide the moral lesson, like Ward Cleaver or Alan Thicke. This is why it's kind of nice to just be this person who only provides the paycheck, who thinks, you know, I really need to work this 14th hour today instead of that first hour at home with my kids. That's okay. I appreciate that. Thank you. But we are never, ever hidden from God. All of who we are hiding from others is never hidden from God. And this is actually the deepest mystery of fatherhood, that God has turned his whole face to us through Jesus. God actually sees all of who we are, knowing us better than he knows ourselves, than we know ourselves, and he doesn't get angry. When he looks at us, the water is perfectly still, and yet he does not flinch. He turns his whole face toward us, and his face's name is Jesus. Jesus is God's complete, unflinching love, loving gaze toward all of us, providing everything we need and protecting us even from death. Our greatest role, then, is to receive and rest in the love of God. Only then will we be able to walk and explore and live in the mystery of fatherhood. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again through these doors. Amen. Go in peace.